Hey, Chi Alpha. I'm so glad that you joined us tonight here in family group. Uh, some of you guys may be meeting in person for family group tonight, uh, and that's exciting. You're watching the stream together in person. Some of you guys may still be joining us online, and that's cool too, but it's fun to be together. It's exciting to be together uh, and get to enjoy each other's company, encourage one another this week. Uh, I'm excited to bring the word this week for you guys to discuss, to talk about, and see how the Lord uses it to encourage your life. A couple weeks ago, Jackie and I uh, sat on this couch and talked about defending your faith when it's challenged. How can we uh, defend our faith um, when there are questions presented or things that we need to give an answer for? Uh, and, and we studied the book of Acts and, and discussed that a little bit together on the stream. Well, taking that a step further, what do we do when that defense of our faith turns into genuine persecution, right? Um, we talked about how to defend our faith and give an answer for what we believe, but what about um, when that, that faith is challenged, it turns into persecution for us, genuine negative consequences, maybe at school or at work for expressing our beliefs, for trying to live out our faith. How do we respond to that, right? And how did the early believers respond to that? That's what we're looking at tonight uh, in our study. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts. It's a series that we're just calling church because that's what it is. It's a study of the early church, a study of these first believers and what we can learn from their lives uh, about what it means to live for God, what we can learn about the community there of the early church that, again, looks a lot like our community looks like now, uh, uh, meeting in each other's homes, right? Smaller groups than what we tend to think about when we think about modern church settings. Uh, but what we can learn about from these believers, what we can learn about God, uh, what we can learn about community from them. Last week, we looked at the uh, radical generosity of the early church, radical generosity, radical hospitality, where these believers gave generously gave sacrificially to make sure that every need in the community was met, that everyone had what they needed, and they loved each other so much that they met each other's needs uh, in tangible ways, uh, even if it meant giving sacrificially of what they had. And then in Life Groups this week, we talked about the miraculous signs and wonders that accompanied the ministry of the apostles, right, and talked about how that supernatural healing is still available for us in Christ today. Uh, the physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, social, relational wholeness, uh, all these things are still available for us in Christ Jesus. And so we studied that, talked about that in our family groups. Um, and as the apostles continue to proclaim the gospel, as we read in the book of Acts, they're proclaiming the gospel, people are getting healed. More and more people are putting their faith in Christ and joining the body of believers. And it says the apostles continue to proclaim the gospel. Uh, the church continues to spread their in Jerusalem, this draws a lot of attention, negative attention, from religious leaders uh, in the area and officials who are jealous uh, of the attention, right, that the apostles are drawing. Um, they're suspicious about what's happening and these changes that they're seeing in the culture. And so this draws the attention of these jealous religious leaders, and that leads us into what we're going to be talking about tonight. And what do we do when the demands of those who are in authority over this run contrary to the clear command of God in our life? And what do we do when we face genuine persecution for our faith, right? When, that, uh, when, when our faith has been challenged and that turns into genuine persecution, negative consequences for us if we persist and continue to live for Jesus and continue to be vocal about our faith, right? When we, when we face general persecution, genuine persecution in this way, does it make us more or less bold for Jesus? Do we shrink back in fear? Do we hide our faith from others? Um, that's, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to look at how the apostles handled it uh, here in Acts chapter 5. So looking in your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says this. 
The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. Right, so uh, they're they're seeing the apostles continue to preach after they commanded them not to. We see uh, you know crowds of people assembling to hear the gospel preached. People putting their faith in Christ, joining the body of believers. Uh, and it tells us that, that these officials, these religious leaders, were filled with jealousy, so they have the apostles arrested and put in jail. Verse 19, But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. A literal angel rescues them from prison and says, Go back to the temple courts, continue to preach this message of life. So the next morning, they do exactly that. They go to the temple courts, and they continue to teach the people there. When the officials hear about this, they're really confused. Like, hey, didn't we put these guys in prison? Didn't we put these guys in jail? So uh, they go and check, and sure enough, they're not there anymore, right? And someone says, hey, they're in the temple courts. Uh, they're preaching. So the captain and his officers go to retrieve the apostles from the temple courts. The Bible tells us they did this without any violent force because they didn't know how the crowd was going to react, right? The crowd loves the apostles, right? They're excited to hear their message, this message of hope, this message of life in Jesus. So they said, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. If we if we arrest these guys violently, the crowd may turn on us. So they, uh, they, they persuaded them to come with them, come before the Sanhedrin once again. Verse 27, then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. They said, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Talking about the name of Jesus. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. He says, when you go around talking about Jesus and talking about how we had him crucified, that makes us look bad, right? You're turning the people against us. So they're jealous of the attention they're getting, the following they're getting, and they're also feeling like, hey, you're turning the people against us. You're making us look bad. Now, they did have Jesus arrested and murdered, um, but, but they say, hey, we're, we, don't, we don't want you to talk about that. We don't want you to speak about that. Uh, you're making us responsible for his death. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Peter says, I hear what you're saying, but when it comes down to it, we've got to obey God before we obey any man, right? And that should be the position of every Christian. We want to do everything we can to obey the authority, uh, respect the authority figures God's placed in our life, right? Obey our parents. That's the first of the Ten Commandments with a promise, right? Obey your parents. We need to obey uh, the, the family authority God's put in our life. We need to obey um, teachers, professors, bosses, governmental authority in our life, if at all possible. But Peter says not if that runs contrary to the Word of God and God's command in our life, right? So if the authority in our life is saying, hey, stop proclaiming Jesus, stop talking about Jesus, stop sharing the gospel with people, well, that I can't obey. He says we've got to obey God rather than human authority. And then he uses this opportunity to proclaim the gospel yet again uh, to, to these religious leaders. He says, Jesus, right? Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, the Prince, the Savior, uh, died on a cross. God raised him from the dead and exalted him. Uh, this Jesus is Savior. This Jesus is Messiah. And he says, we were witnesses to it, eyewitnesses to it, to the risen Jesus. Uh, and we've been given the Holy Spirit uh, because of our submission and obedience to Jesus. 
All right, so they proclaim the gospel yet again. What happens next? Of course, the officials are furious at this response, and they decide to kill him. Say, you know what? We're done with you guys. We're going to have you put to death. But a highly respected Pharisee named Gamaliel cautions them uh, to instead, no, no, don't kill the apostles. Just let them go instead. He reminds them of several other revolts in the past, several other revolts and uprisings uh, that had happened in the past. And he says, hey, when these revolts happened, uh, whenever the leader of the revolt died, the uprising fizzled out, right? Eventually the people scattered. Eventually they gave up on the cause. And, and so lo- looking at this current cultural uprising, you know, we put, we put Jesus to death. Uh, and let's just see if this doesn't fizzle out too, right? So he says, let these people go. Don't kill them. Uh, don't draw more attention. Um, let's just let them go. Let's leave them alone. Uh, and then he says this um, in verse 38. This, this is really important. He says, so my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Uh, Gamaliel says, uh, if God's behind this, then we don't want to oppose him, right? We don't want to be on the wrong side of what God's doing here in our city. Um, And if it's not of God, then we don't have to worry about opposing him. God will take care of it. It'll fizzle out eventually, but we really just need to let these guys go. And his speech persuades them, right? They listen to Gamaliel. He persuades them. They release the apostles, not before flogging them, beating them, and then warning them again not to speak anymore about Jesus. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Can you imagine having that attitude, right? Being called uh, to give an account before a high council, being thrown in prison, uh, being beaten, flogged. And then your reaction being rejoicing that God would count you worthy to suffer for Jesus. Is that our attitude, right? When we're persecuted and we suffer, uh, is our attitude to rejoice? Say, thank you, God, that I get this opportunity to suffer for you, right? How drastically different the attitude of the apostles is from what I think my reaction would probably be in the similar situation. Verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to preach and teach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Right? Even after being beaten, even after being warned again, they continue to preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. They don't stop proclaiming Jesus to the people. So three big takeaways right? as we look at this passage uh, the, for, us, for us to think about tonight and chew on and discuss in our family groups. The first is we must obey God over any human authority. Right? We do want to do our best to, to respect authority, to respect those that God's put in positions of authority over us uh, whenever possible. But when it comes in direct contrast to the clear commands of God, then the choice is obvious who we have to obey, right? We've got to obey God, got to obey our creator, got to obey Jesus. Um, and, and, and even if that, even, even if that is in defiance of, of authority in our life, um, we've got to, our first allegiance is to God and pleasing him. We live for an audience of one. Uh, if we're pleasing God, then it doesn't matter what men think of us, right? If we're displeasing God, then it doesn't matter if every man is happy with us, right? If God's not happy with us, then I've missed it, right? So we want to please God. We want to do what honors him, uh, even if that means defying uh, the wishes of people that have authority over our life. The second takeaway is this, that we can really learn a lot from Gamaliel's wise words to the Sanhedrin. They're useful and helpful for us as well. If we see a movement in the church or in the culture that concerns us, man, first we should pray about it, right? Pray about that thing. And trust the Lord with it. Maybe it's something that God would have us address. Maybe we pray about it and God does want us to address it, does want us to deal with it. But oftentimes, you know, we can keep our head down. 
you know, stay focused on what God's called us to do, stay in our own lane. Uh, and if the thing is not from God, just let God deal with it, right? If God's not specifically called you to address it, uh, then focus on what he's called you to do and let God deal with it, right? And if it is from God, then we're going to be glad that we didn't oppose it, right? Because we're going to end up being on the wrong side of the Lord. Uh, we don't want to fight against God. We don't want to go against God. So there may be things that you notice uh, in the culture, in the church, in the community uh, that you say, man, th- this concerns me. I'm not sure about this. Um, again, we're not talking about clear violations of Scripture, things that are clearly wrong or, or a sin, but sometimes it's like, hey, I'm concerned about this. Man, pray about it. Trust, trust it to the Lord. Say, God, uh, would you have me address this? Would you have me do anything about this? Um, and if not, I'm just going to leave it in your hands. God, would you deal with this how you please? And again, if it's a God thing, uh, then we pray that it's blessed and that it succeeds. And God, if it's not from you, we trust that you'll deal with it, that it'll fizzle out, that it'll go, go, go away, uh, and I won't have to worry about it. Uh, and then the third takeaway for us is that persecution didn't deter the apostles, and it shouldn't deter us as well. And we may not face uh, a lot of genuine persecution in our day-to-day life like what we read about in the New Testament. There may not be that many times that you get arrested and thrown in jail for being a Christian, or you're beaten or flogged or whipped uh, for telling people about Jesus. But there are uh, still elements of persecution that you may face. There may be, there may be consequences in school or in the workplace, right, or in your friendships and family relationships uh, for being a Christian and living out your faith, saying, hey, I refuse to partake in this because, man, I believe it's sinful and, and morally wrong or or, hey, I want, I want to talk about Jesus and the good news of what God's done for me. And there may be people that don't want to hear that, right? There's, so there are negative consequences. When we talk about persecution, we do mean specifically negative consequences from living out your faith and proclaiming the gospel, not just people mistreating you because uh, you did something wrong, right? First Peter even tells us that, that if we're treated badly because we did wrong, uh, that's not persecution, right? That, that, that if we're treated badly because of the cause of Christ, because we've been sharing the gospel, living out our faith, that's persecution, um, and as we see that persecution didn't deter the apostles, it shouldn't deter us as well. In fact, we see the apostles rejoice because they're able to suffer with Jesus and to have that kind of attitude to say, Jesus, I'm suffering in this moment, but help me to remember you suffered as well, right? So in this moment, I'm actually closer to you. I can understand you better. I can identify with you more, Jesus, because you suffered first, right? You suffered first, uh, and, and then in my suffering, I know Jesus first. You suffered before, uh, you suffered so that I could be reconciled to you, have relationship with you. And also, Jesus, you told us to expect this. You told us to expect uh, that the world wouldn't understand and there would be trouble, there would be persecution, there would be opposition. So God, help me not to be surprised when I'm persecuted for what I believe, uh, but, but, but help me to, to understand that, hey, that this is expected, this is normal, and help me to rejoice because it means I'm doing something right, right? Uh, uh, old youth pastor used to say, um, that if you're just warming the bench, right, the devil, devil's not worried about you. He doesn't have to do anything to oppose you. But it's when you're in the middle of the fight. It's when you're in the game. It's when you're fighting hard for the kingdom. Uh, when you're doing something for God, man, that's when you'll start to face opposition. And you can rejoice saying, hey, if, I, if there's some pushback here, if there's some opposition here, maybe I'm doing something good for God. And we rejoice in that. The apostles rejoice because they're able to suffer for Jesus. And imagine if we could have that same kind of attitude in the face of trouble. Instead of grumbling and complaining and feeling entitled, and be like, man, why is this happening to me? Uh, instead, rejoicing uh, and allowing that persecution to spur them on to even more boldly proclaim the gospel. And as we saw in verse 42, that's exactly what happens. Uh, instead of being more afraid after this persecution, they're more bold and proclaim the gospel even more, which 
uh, incidentally, is exactly what the believers prayed would happen, right? As we studied in Life Group a few weeks ago, the believers prayed uh, that the persecution would make them more bold in sharing their faith, that they, they wouldn't make them more afraid uh, or more timid, but they'd be more bold in proclaiming the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done for them. So as we jump now into our discussions in family groups, I want us to think about these kind of things. Um, and what are some of the real uh, issues of persecution we might face in our day-to-day life, on a college campus, on the job, in our families, in our friend friendship dynamics? What are some negative consequences for talking about Jesus, talking about the hope we found in him? Uh, and, and, and how can we not let that deter us, right? Um, but, but be bold, be obedient to God, um, and, and allow, allow him to use us in those situations for himself. Um, and so, man, I hope you guys have some great discussions tonight. Again, excited. Uh, some of you get, get, to, get to have these discussions in person, uh, which is cool. Um, some of you guys are still online or praying that those are blessed conversations as well. I love you guys and hope you have a super great week and looking forward to when I can connect with you again as well.